everybody. It's Sarah. Just a word before uh, we listen to today's episode of The S Word, a podcast about suicide prevention. I just want to note that this episode does discuss um, specific uh, methods um, around suicide and specifically firearm suicide. There's also some language that is used in this episode that might be upsetting to some. And so if you are not in a great space for that today, please go ahead and skip this episode or give us a listen later on. Thanks so much and take care. Welcome back, everybody, to our first episode of 2024 of The S Word, um, a podcast about suicide prevention. I'm Sarah Kolbeck. I am an assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral medicine at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and I also direct um, the Division of Suicide Research and Healing at the Medical College. And uh, I'm flying solo today. Uh, my co-host, Andrew, unfortunately, is feeling a little bit under the weather. So uh, we hope he'll be back with us next week and wish him the best as he is recovering. I am really excited about today's episode. Our guest is Katrina Brees, um, and I'll talk a little bit more about Katrina and her work in just a moment. But before we get started, just a couple of reminders for our listeners this podcast will discuss issues related to suicide and suicide prevention. And so if that feels like a tender topic for you today, please just make sure to take care of yourself as needed. Um, make sure to do something nice for yourself after you're done listening to the podcast today. And um, I do also want to remind folks that there are resources available if you are ever concerned about yourself or a loved one you can dial or text 988 to reach the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. You can also text the HOPE line, which is the text crisis uh, line by texting the word TALK to 741-741. Both of those resources are available 24-7, 365, and are free and anonymous to use. So just encourage folks to reach out to those services if needed. So as I mentioned, our guest for today's podcast is Katrina Brees. Katrina is an artist and an activist. I was kind of doing a little bit of research, Katrina, about some of your work and was really interested to see that you're actually a parade producer for the crew yep. of Lassos for Mardi Gras in New Orleans, which is so cool and so yeah. <laughs> it's definitely the dream job. Good, good. Yeah, it's uh, it sounds really, really interesting. Um, and your linkage to suicide prevention comes through your work with Dano's Law, which we'll talk about a little bit during this podcast today. Um, but welcome, Katrina. We're so glad to have you. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. So um, you reached out to me, Katrina, and I'm really glad that you did um, because a lot of the topics that we talk about as part of our podcast episodes are related to um, suicide prevention. And one of the um, kind of mechanisms for suicide prevention is policy change. And so I was wondering if you could spend a little time talking about um, your background in terms of suicide and suicide prevention. I know that you lost your mother to suicide and that was really the impetus for Donna's Law. So if you could spend some time just telling us a little bit about your work, um, that would be great. Sure. Um, I um, 
I lost my mom, Donna, to suicide in New Orleans in 2018. Um, she had a long list of medical and mental health issues, and we were very on top of everything. She was experiencing um, psychosis and sui impulsive suicidality as a result of of down dosing from a medication that she was prescribed as to reduce the suicidality. And um, unfortunately that didn't work. And in that period of time when she was down dosing and experiencing these horrific side effects, um, which were mental and physical, it also um, caused her to lose most of her ability to walk. She had extreme tremors. Mm -hmm. um, so in this period, she was voluntarily hospitalized three times, six months previous to her suicide mm -hmm. and had excellent care, the best that is available to anyone, I would assume. And um, even because of all these things, we were not able to stop her from accessing a handgun. And we live in New Orleans where there is almost no gun laws. Like you could come to my house. I can sell you a gun in my kitchen. It's your gun. Then we can go out and walk around with guns. And, you know, that's within our rights. Mm -hmm. um, so my mother in a, in this episodic psychosis um, left her house. Her partner at the time had quit his job to make sure that he was home with her all the time and able to supervise her. And she lied to him and went to the gun store and purchased a gun very quickly and was able to take that gun to the park near our house and um, shot herself there. Mm -hmm. And after that happened, um, I guess all, anyone who loses someone to suicide or or probably any other kind of death questions, what could have been different? How could I have stopped this? How can this not happen again mm -hmm. to me or to loved ones? And immediately I, I felt, how could she have had access to a gun when she was just in a, in a lockup psychiatric facility three times? Right. And because she had, voluntarily admitted herself she wasn't given the tool to um, create a prohibition against firearm sales mm -hmm. so she did not have that life-saving tool and very quickly I thought um, how how could this be different how could my mom have who was an excellent self-advocate who always followed directions from her doctor who went to hundreds of doctor's appointments, be given another tool that could have saved her. Mm -hmm. And so the tool that has become Donna's Law is a voluntary prohibition on being able to purchase a firearm. And it's also reversible. So it essentially puts the power of a waiting period into an individual's hands. Mm -hmm. And it has no specific connection to mental illness or any other um, 
like you don't have to be diagnosed. You can just feel that this is some a tool that you want and you can sign up and use it. If you're lucky enough to live in one of the three states that currently has it, which is Washington and Virginia and Utah. And um, I have a, a partner on this project named Fred Bars and he started working on this before my mom died and about five years before my mom died. And this really would have been a great tool for my mom. My mom really hated guns. Our family doesn't have guns. Mm -hmm. No, no one we know is putting guns around us. Um, It it could have really worked for her. And I was introduced to him actually by a reporter who was doing a story about me trying to get this legislation accomplished in Louisiana. And within six months, I had it in the legislature here. And it was it was so sadly rejected. And the protesting on it was um, just heartbreaking. Yeah. And I told myself that I could not survive in that atmosphere um, mm-hmm. in Louisiana and Baton Rouge and the legislature there. And that I would just commit to doing the work in other states where people wanted this tool and where I, w- I wouldn't be abused by trying to provide people with something like this. Um, so we currently have active bills in about a dozen states. Um, okay a lot in the Midwest, hopefully Louisiana again this year, <laughs> um, the Northeast, Tennessee, Washington, D.C. And I expect that it, it'll it be nationwide eventually. It's just a matter of how long is this going to take to do the work? Sure. And, um, you know, can we do it state by state or can we do it federally? Last year, we were able to get it into Congress. And then because of the elections, there just wasn't going to be anything related to firearms shown Mm -hmm. to that committee anymore. So we were just completely blocked out from the ability to even discuss this tool, um, which is so sad. I mean, this is about this is a, a public health crisis. Like people say like, this is the 10th leading cause of death in America. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, this is the number one leading cause of death in my family. Like I looked at a family tree um, over the summer and every single person in my family that died before 80 years old, it was a suicide. Okay. And so when we think about like this being the, the 10th leading cause, there's a lot of families that this is the number one cause. This is wow. generational. Mm-hmm. And um, there are a lot of factors that go into it, but truly access to guns is what what the final connection is to a death. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we like, I was thinking about um, like if we if we looked at lung cancer, Mm-hmm. And and you asked me, how can we prevent people from dying of lung cancer? And I said, oh, well, we can help them not be smokers. And, and then we can also help all those secondhand smoke people. But if I say, if someone says, how can we prevent suicide? And I say, prevent access to guns. Mm-hmm. That is so radical and dangerous a statement to say in our country right right now, even though the 
the vast majority of the gun crisis is suicides, mm -hmm. where yeah. we have two thirds of gun deaths are suicides. Right. Right. But that doesn't mean that that other third is disconnected from suicide, because mm -hmm. we hear all the time of mass shootings ending in a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Right. Right. And um, it's very common for a man to shoot his wife and then shoot himself. So mm -hmm. when we think about what is the 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 problem with like what is causing this epidemic within suicide and guns, it's hand in hand. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's really, I mean, it breaks my heart that it is so controversial to to be saying these things and um, to have to live in the fear that I have to live in because I want to save lives with a totally voluntary tool. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, um, first of all, I just want to, say how sorry I am about the loss of your mother and of, you know, the losses that you've experienced in your family. I'm really sorry to hear that you've, you know, run into um, some safety issues as it relates to advocating for this policy. It certainly is a contentious issue. Um, and I think a lot of us in the suicide prevention space and even the injury prevention space, you know, we think about different kind of facets of prevention, right? Mm -hmm. We think about, you know, the individual and, you know, how can we, you know, maybe address the underlying mental health issues um, that the individual is having. And it sounds like your mom was getting the treatment that she needed. She was voluntarily, um, you know, admitted to the hospital a couple of times. She was on medication. You know, it seems like she, and you mentioned that she was a good advocate for herself. So it seems like she was doing a pretty good job of, you know, trying to take care of, you know, her, herself as an individual and her mental health issues. So the other piece of that then is, um, you know, the method or the, um, the way that somebody decides to attempt suicide and, you know, what can we do in the space of that prevention? And I think, um, that's where a lot of people really get stuck and don't necessarily think about that as such an important part of, of suicide prevention and firearm violence prevention overall is really there are these tools out here that that can be used, you know, when that individual is in a crisis situation that can kind of be, um, you know, a second barrier or a third barrier or whatever it is to prevent that access that, you know, really has been shown in the literature to, in the research literature, to be effective um, for preventing suicide. You know, we see in states that have certain policies, we see reductions in firearm suicide and reductions in suicide overall. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's such an important um, tool in our toolbox for suicide prevention. Um, so could you explain a little bit more in detail about, you know, kind of how Donna's law works? So you mentioned that a person can sort of voluntarily um, prohibit, prohibit themselves from purchasing a firearm. So how does that work if a person is interested? Sure. In um, for the individual, they can go on Donna'sLaw.com and there's a tab there about signing up and they can look at the specific state that mm -hmm. and and the way that the state has created that mechanism. So for example, in Virginia, 
one can download a form and um, provide a photo of their driver's license and send it in without interacting with any humans. Okay. In um, other states, it, it can be a little harder. My goal in the work that I do is to make it as easy as possible. And the opposition works against that to make sure that it's as hard as possible once we get the bills through to actually get people to sign up. But it is possible in all these states and people are using it. And um, we don't have any education campaigns going other than like right now, me doing this podcast. So the people that are finding it are finding it and and they really do want it. So it shows me how desirable it is for people. Yeah. And so many people have told me that that they wish they had that tool at a specific time in their lives. So it, it it's not that hard to sign up. Um, yeah. I personally have signed up in Washington state and Virginia at this point. And I look forward to signing up in any state that will allow me to. So if I'm understanding, depending on the state, they can go to donnaslaw.com, um, select the state that they're from, and then it's it could be as simple as filling out a form mm -hmm. uh, and sending it in. And then I assume that that form would go to some sort of state level registry. Yeah. Sort of so, the, yeah. so the way that works is um, our country has something called the NICS system which mm -hmm. enables background checks by licensed firearm dealers. Okay. So a licensed firearm dealer has to check. And when they call in, like when the gun store clerk calls in to the registry, it doesn't give them a reason. It just mm -hmm. allows or denies. Okay. So, so for people that um, live in a place where they're concerned about the confidentiality of this list. There mm -hmm. haven't been any breaches of this list. It's managed by the FBI. It already exists um, for, let's say, like criminals and people who have legally lost their rights to use guns. So we're using the same exact tool, the same, um, pretty much the same software, the same people to allow a voluntary option into this yeah. system. Yeah. And it's, it's also, um, it's completely free, which is cool yeah. because not all suicide prevention tools are, right. and it has no side effects, unlike some other suicide prevention tools. Um, there's no chance of an employer being able to see this. Um, it's com completely confidential. We have um, protections about coercion written into mm -hmm. the bills. So it's a, a very safe um policy tool yeah. mechanism for people to trust to use this for themselves. Yeah, it kind of seems like a, and this is my own bias coming in, but it kind of seems like a no brainer to me, um, especially yeah. since it's voluntary. So what has been, and I'm going to ask you about kind of successes in a moment, but I'm curious because it seems because it's voluntary, because there are protections about coercion, because it's free because it's integrated into an already existing national system. What is some of the opposition that you've come across as it relates to implementing this, this bill? Well, the opposition is pretty similar and run by the same people in all the states, it seems like. Mm -hmm. And it pretty much revolves around slippery slope. Okay. And that if we're going to start making lists about what the government is going to allow you to do or not, that they don't want more government oversight. Mm 
yeah. on mm -hmm. people. I've heard from mental health organizations that in the beginning did not necessarily support it and later on have. Okay. And um, their criticism has been that this stigmatizes people with mental illness. Mm. And that saying that people with mental illness are more likely to commit gun violence mm -hmm. oh, I is, see. Yeah. is against their talking points. Mm -hmm. right. So a lot of organizations will tell you that people with mental illness are more likely to be victims of violence than mm -hmm. to commit violence. And so when we talk about preventing people with mental illness from access to firearms, that is suggesting that they can be dangerous to society sure. and there could be ramifications about that stigma around mm -hmm. every aspect of their lives. Right. And not getting treatment because they would fear that. Yeah. However, the truth about gun violence is that it's mostly suicide and suicide yeah. is gun violence. Mm -hmm. And so even though these people might not be the ones likely to commit um, violence, you know, on others, they are more they are more likely to commit it on themselves. And we know that and we want we want to give them the tools to protect themselves mm -hmm. and the whole thing about stigma and the warnings and like today I was on, on my social media and I was excited to do this podcast. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, if I put on Facebook that I'm going to be on the S word, a suicide prevention podcast, then zero people are going to see my post because Facebook will right. prohibit people from seeing the word suicide. Mm -hmm. So then I made up this new title for the show that was the S word, an S word prevention podcast. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm going to have to remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, it is it is so ridiculous that we're that it that it's been so simplified by right. the the tech industry that we can't even talk about suicide prevention because then we're talking about suicide. Mm -hmm. I also think it's like, for example, one of the myths about suicide is that women don't use guns and right. men use guns. Yep. And this might have been true in an era where women didn't own guns and mm -hmm. all the guns were owned by men. And right. so the there was a big difference. And also we didn't have Google. Yeah. And so there, there are internal corporate policy change yes. <laughs> that can Absolutely. also be addressed yes. that are not yeah. political. And right. um, for example, like, I don't know how this is in other places people live, but where I live in Louisiana, I Googled the gun that my mom used. Mm -hmm. And then I was shown gun ads ever, no matter what I use, what I right. looked up for yeah. weeks. Yeah. And I'm shown gun ads all the time because I do this work. Right. Right. You know, and it's like, I am not someone that has the mental stability to be shown gun ads all right. the time. Right. It can be, I would imagine that is really, really activating, right? Like, yeah. And there's, to your point, there's no, nobody's talking about the need to, I mean, you're talking about it, but, you know, the need to um, put some sort of control on this because, mm -hmm. it, you know, 
essentially commercials and ads and things like that for these products without, I think, any consideration for the potential harm that it can do to folks who are dealing with a mental health issue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I Google, I, I love Google. I use it all the time. And so like I Google everything I'm going to do. Yeah. You know, and if, if I was going to kill myself, I would Google that too. Right. You know, like, right. and when we, when we think that women aren't going to do this with guns, it's not true. The amount of women that have guns now is as many as the amount of men that have guns sure. now. Yeah. Even though the men have a lot more guns. Mm -hmm. And the types of guns that women get are types of guns that are even better for killing yourself with. Yeah. And like, like I joke sometimes, like one good solution would be to only have guns that are five feet long. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of that. Yeah. Change the tool. Right. Because, yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, women are Googling this. Women have guns. Right. And most women are dying by suicide, by gun now, mm -hmm. um, even though it is more men, um, it, it is hugely on the rise for women. Like right. my mom was not an anomaly. She was an equation, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, some of the, the data that I've seen have shown particularly with women who are veterans. And I know your mom wasn't a veteran, but um, you know, just the way that this is changing. And I think sort of our conventional wisdom about what suicide is and what suicide looks like is changing as our society is changing and as our, you know, context is changing as well. So I think that's a really important point that, you know, kind of what we've always thought about suicide. Um, I think we need to challenge that a little bit and, you know, work toward a better understanding to inform, you know, policies, whether they're organizational policies or legislative policies that could be a little bit more effective, because I think what we've been doing is it's not doing the whole job, clearly, because we're continuing to see suicides. And so I think um, there's really a need to think about this a little bit differently. And I think Donna's law is a really great example of, you know, an innovative way to think about this a little a little bit differently. Yeah. So, like you, you oh, said, yeah, like, a, like a no brainer. Yeah. And like people talk a lot about common sense gun laws and I'm like, mm -hmm. you heard of common sense gun laws. This is a no brainer. Like, of course, yeah. let people voluntarily opt out of it. Right. I mean, right. we have, um, gambling prohibition voluntary we have mm -hmm. advanced right. directives we have yeah. uh, medications people can take so that their addictions play with you know interact differently and make yeah. them you know not get high um, right. so we have all these ways that people can ch choose restriction in the future to prevent you know a certain type of themselves to be in the driver's seat sure um and it, it's, I mean, it's obviously just political that this hasn't gone, you know, further. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking a lot today um, about you and about, and I've been listening to a lot of your episodes to get ready for this conversation. And I was thinking about how suicide and suicide prevention look at different things. Right. So like when you look at, if you ask the cops about suicide, mm -hmm they will say it's the guns. Right, right. 
And if you ask a mental health professional, like they might look at my mom and say, oh, well, she had bipolar. Right, right. And um, if you ask me, I would say there were a hundred contributing factors Absolutely. to my mother's death. Yeah. But the experience of being suicidal, let's say, has a lot of opportunity for intervention, whether that's mm -hmm. medication, therapy, exercise, church, whatever that is for people. Mm -hmm. um, but that moment of suicide is really about the gun being right there. Right, right. It's the access. Yeah. Yeah. And on my mom's death certificate and in the description of her death, it doesn't talk about bipolar. It doesn't talk about medication. It talks mm -hmm. about the gun. Yeah. Like my mom died by intraoral gunshot, mm -hmm. like yeah. self-inflicted. She didn't right. die of bipolar, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that um, when someone has a tool around them, like for example, let's say I have um, a, a new drill. Sure. I'm going to think, what am I going to drill with this new drill? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is, you know? And so the, the gun increases the idea. The gun mm -hmm. brings the idea. Mm -hmm. um, I, I live with a gun in my house. Um, I fought very hard to get my mom's property back from the police. And one of the sure. items was the handgun that she killed herself with. And um, I... I mean, no one's going to like that I do this, but I allow myself to have those feelings of, yeah. okay, I'm in bed. I had a bad day. Ha like every time that gun comes into my mind, mm -hmm. you know, and this isn't like I got a gun because I had a reason for a gun. And yeah. actually inheriting guns is a huge amount of the guns that people yes. are ending up with. Yep. And um, that that is another issue. And it is something that I've been, building more conversations about like can we create a system where people don't just land with a car full of guns right and can it instead be processed through the will or mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. through a background check or anything yeah. or even them giving permission that they even want these guns you know right. right um so yeah inheriting guns is is also a huge danger and i mean i hope that people will think about what that moment is, you know, let's say responsible gun owners that love to collect guns. Um, what what happens when you die and your your wife inherits 80 mm -hmm. guns? Right. You right. know, what's what's the plan? Um, mm -hmm. So like I said, I mean, I, I do like doing the work of legislation, but yeah. I also see that there's every single level of policy change, even the policies within a family, mm -hmm. um, even the choices mm -hmm. individuals are making, how we operate around guns, how we converse about it. Because if, I mean, I, I saw this graphic one time from a suicide prevention organization, and mm -hmm. it was, um, it was like a stick figure in the middle of a circle of stick, other stick figures that were holding hands around them. Okay. So a bunch of people coming together around another, per you know, this person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, like, what if, what if I had a terminal illness yeah. and the major organizations that address this illness told me to get a circle of people to hold hands around me? 
Right, right. Yeah. You know, like mm -hmm. it is so, um, we're so far, like all the people that are in this work are so far ahead of what the common understandings are around suicide in our country. And um, the myths are making it so hard for the, these um, changes to take place. Right. Like, mm -hmm. for example, I don't know that everyone really believes in suicide prevention. One of the criticisms I get all the time is, oh, they'll just do it another way. And yeah. so it's like, if someone had cancer, would I be like, oh, they'll just go get another cancer if we treat this cancer, That's you know? <laughs> yeah. Such a good point. And it's not true. I mean, the research shows that people who don't have access to their initial kind of means don't typically go on to substitute means. Right. Yeah. Least, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's um, an, another myth that I was thinking that I wanted to bring up that bothers me and is um, the myth of selfishness. Mm. And our society has created this sentiment that people that kill themselves are selfish. Selfish, yeah. And there are a lot of suicide prevention techniques that are pretty ancient that involve pretty much shaming the person into yeah. not committing suicide. Mm -hmm. But the truth is so much sadder. And the truth is that these people aren't selfish. These people feel that they are a burden to their families yeah. and are trying to like relieve their families of them. Mm -hmm. And that is such a sad thing. So I understand why people would rather not think about it. But these ideas that that these selfish people are going to do it anyway, you know, um, are, are not helping. And so I think that if people believe in suicide prevention, then really believe in it, really believe yeah. that it's a real thing. We can prevent suicides. We can, um, we can change society. We mm -hmm. can change Google. We can change the laws. We can change really anything that we put our minds to. And there is so much this is this problem is such a sloppy problem that we have so much potential to fix it. Oh my gosh, that's so true. <laughs> that's actually really like simultaneously like very tragic and also really hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> there is a lot of space. I and I totally agree with you. I totally agree. It is a sloppy problem. It's mm -hmm. and there I think is a lot of there's all so much room for change. There's so mm -hmm. much room for change. And I do think that the more that we talk about it and we have these conversations, which is why your work is so important, the more that we talk about it and advocate for, you know, policies, whether it's a policy or it's a program change or whatever it is, the more these conversations are going to be, you know, just part of our part of our life. Mm -hmm. And I think the more that we're going to be able to, to make some of that change um, and, and hopefully, you know, move the needle a little bit. Um, yeah. Vexing sloppy problem. Yeah. I mean, we know the solutions, right. Right. You know, mm -hmm. it's just about implementation. About implementation. Yeah. So um, I know we're getting close to the top of the hour, but I want to ask about that. So you've been successful your work has been successful in implementing policy change in Washington, Utah, and Virginia. And what do you think has been kind of kind of the recipe for success in those states? Bipartisanship. Okay. Having um, Republican support. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it really is. I mean, 
I guess I was expecting like a really kind of complicated answer to that, but it's <laughs> a Yes. So bipartisanship, I mean, that is, you know, makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I think I was talking about this recently to some students that I was working with. We, we often call suicide a very complex issue. And yet sometimes I think we hide behind that complexity. Mm -hmm. um, because as you said, we, th there are answers out there, we have to implement them. And this is this uh, a similar thing, you know, it's about bipartisanship. It's about working across the aisle um, mm -hmm. and having Republicans and others on board. I also wanted to add that um, the, nobody who is in this profession is on my team. Mm -hmm. Everyone who has any kind of occupational stake in anything to do with this, mm -hmm seems to be threatened to lose their career standing in yeah. order to support this. Okay. And I mean, if we're, if we're really trying to prevent suicide and we're just going to say, you know, I don't think my boss wants me talking about this. Yeah. But you know, the answers. <laughs> right. Right. Like, like the, I mean, academia, the medical community, the police, the veterans, like, where are they? They're right. all gag ordering themselves, you know? It's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, that is a huge problem. I yeah. mean, the, the like, I, I'm a parade producer. I'm a paper mache maker. I um, am a dancer. Like, yeah. I it shouldn't have to be me that does this, but I realize it's me that does this because I have nothing to lose. Right. And I have more to lose with this not happening. Mm -hmm. You know, like the yeah. economic deflation of losing family members to suicide is mm -hmm. more significant than the customers I'll lose by talking about it. Right, right. And yeah. um, it's, it's very difficult to do this work without without that community supporting it. Yeah. So I really encourage anyone who knows the answers to stand up and say the answers, you know? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah absolutely. Um, I, there's so much that we could talk about, <laughs> about this. And I'm really, uh, I'm just so thankful that you reached out to me so that we could have a conversation about this and, you know, a really open and honest conversation. And I think we need to continue to challenge ourselves to your point. Um, yeah, I think that oftentimes we get in our, our own way in a little bit, in a little bit of a way. And so I appreciate that call to like, like I said, continue to challenge ourselves, continue to challenge the, the paradigms that we have seen for the last, you know, many, many years that we've been looking at suicide and suicide prevention and thinking differently. Um, mm -hmm. I just really appreciate that, that call for that kind of work um, and I hope people will see like wow she did it this like paper mache yeah. Mardi Gras person <laughs> like imagine if I had you know support from like JAMA or yeah. colleagues or mm -hmm. you know if I was a psychiatrist or yeah really I mean anything I feel like it but then I see how people who really care and really know the problem you know like it it breaks my heart that they're that they're silenced because of um 
essentially fear of losing their jobs. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I want to spend some time talking about that a little bit more with you offline. Um, so <laughs> sure. we'll, 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 we'll keep this conversation rolling, Katrina. But if people are interested, listeners are interested, Donna'slaw.com is the website um, mm-hmm. go to. And, um, you know, certainly we'll make sure that that's linked in the notes with this episode so that folks can learn more. Um, yeah. And I just, I'm feeling a little bit hopeful at the end of this conversation because of, of folks like you who are doing this work and the fact that there is opportunity for change. There's lots of opportunity for change. And so just really appreciate you being here with me today and having this conversation and being willing to share really openly about your experience. Um, because I really, really do strongly believe that folks like you who are willing to be brave and tell your story are going to be, you know, the catalyst for change in our society um, as it relates to suicide. So thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. It's also fun work. Like I get to meet like really cool people and, yeah. you know, now I'm hoping that I'll, I'll get to meet Cory Booker. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like I have these little like legislative crushes now. So I (laughs) encourage, it's not, it's not like all negative to like be in that work. It's, it's really fun actually. Yeah. And you get to have crushes too. Totally get it. That's awesome. That's really good. Yeah. Some of my favorite people uh, work in suicide and suicide prevention spaces. Mm -hmm. And and so, um, and you're one of them. Oh, thanks. To meet you. Yeah. So Donna'slaw.com for our listeners, please check it out. And um, if you're interested, you know, reach out and we can connect you with Katrina and others who are doing this work. So thanks again, Katrina. Thank you. Uh, Just a reminder for listeners, if you are ever concerned about yourself or a loved one, you can dial or text 988, the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. You can also text the text crisis line, the HOPE line, by texting the word TALK to 741-741. And we will see you all next month for our next episode. Andrew and I will be coming together and talking about our own work, which is not something that we have ever done on this podcast. And so we will be having conversations about our research over the next couple of months. And we really hope that you tune in. Thanks, everybody.